They seek him out. They seek him out. They seek him everywhere. Seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven or is he not? That's damned elusive. Uh, that would be fun to watch that movie again, man. So stupid, though, how we got so many things just stuck in our heads. <laughs> there was so few things that were actually halfway cool. Scarlet exactly. Pimpernel was one of the very few movies that was actually like... A good movie. A good movie just for fun. They didn't have to fucking powwow it. <laughs> they probably did anyways, though. <laughs> did they? I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. And here I am again with this, because all the girls were just swooning over the Scarlet Pimpernel guy, whatever his name was. Darcy. Dar- no, not Darcy. Anyways, but I was like, cr- my big crush was on the girl. <laughs> Jane Seymour. <laughs> oh, my God. It's funny when you look back and realize it- things. Yeah. Like that you didn't even really realize. And you're like, oh my God, I was like that all the way back then. But you were never like allowed to pursue that or feel that. So you just stuck it away. And then yeah. later on, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> that's been going on for quite a while. For quite some time. It makes me feel so grateful for the people that are getting out of cults in early enough stages <laughs> that they can gather some of their own independence and start figuring that shit out. We've talked this before in Thailand. We had the thumb on us a little bit harder. It's funny for me looking back in my teen years and going, what? Obviously I've been like this my whole life, obviously. And that I laugh about, but I think what makes me, what makes me sad <laughs> is how deeply ingrained the misogyny from the cult was. And how you never felt validated or you never felt seen unless you were seen by a man. <sighs> and spending so much of my life thinking that was attraction or thinking that was <laughs> desire. And it, it's actually just, I was pretty fucked up in the head. <laughs> programming. Yeah. Programming. Yeah. I guess the key for that is figuring it out. Yes. Is that once you see it <laughs> and you can know it. Yes, exactly. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Yes. So last night, the nonprofit organization that I work with, that I work for, I5 Freedom Network, we were doing a town hall on human trafficking. And basically it's... We just put out the word that we're having this town hall and there was all these different people that were going to speak. So we had this whole agenda, but the main course of the meal for this, for this town hall was a panel of five people. And they each came from different walks of life and different avenues. We had somebody from the city council. We had a detective. We had somebody from a school. And then we had somebody from hotels. There's a survivor that was going to be on the panel. Someone who has a little bit more like generally conceived type of human trafficking where she was pimped out and that whole thing. And so she was going to be the representative of the i5 Freedom Network and the survivor. And I was going to speak at a different time and just for a couple minutes about what to look for, familial trafficking and all that. So that's what I spent a month preparing for last night. So the doors were going to open at 6 p.m. I got up there at 5.30 and Brenda calls me aside and she's like, so (laughs) 
<laughs> the survivor that was going to speak on the panel decided that they couldn't speak, that it was too much for their mental health, unfortunately. So anyway, she called off and Brenda was like, so I guess you're going to represent all the work and all the planning, all the work that I've done on myself personally and all the work that I do in my job. And still I get up there in front of this crowd of people and I just, I'm terrified because I know that people are going to be judging and that's, it's a tough spot to be in because you can know yourself, right? You can know what the truth is and you can know that it wasn't your fault, but it's really hard to stand strong in that place (laughs) when either out of just dickishness or out of ignorance, people are going to be judging. Like it's the same thing with domestic violence, right? Like, why don't you get out? People think that all the time. And it was difficult because I think just the day before too, I was reading some comments on one of the social medias about being born in a cult. And they were like, yeah, that stuff really like screws somebody up. And it's just, yes, yes, (laughs) yes, it does. But not any more significantly than quite a bit of the population at large. There's all kinds of things that happen to people that quote unquote screws them up. It's like a, a conundrum, I guess. Because you want to go out, right? And you want to be more social. You want to meet new people. You want to make friends. And especially now my actual job is representing as a survivor. I just have to deal with the fact that every time I meet somebody, they're going to judge or assess if they can even fucking respect me just based on that's a lot, you know? (laughs) That's part of the importance of speaking up, telling our stories, right? Yes. It's hard. There's always that kind of fear and shame almost to. Yeah. When even like you said, I prepared for two months. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. how well prepared you are. It's still (laughs) difficult and there's still going to always be people that judge you. I definitely notice more than I used to. My inner critic (laughs) that's telling me bullshit. Even if it's true, it's not necessary. What does that matter? I know you're familiar with this, us ex-cult babies. A lot of the reaction is like, oh, wow, you're so well-spoken. Oh, wow, you know how to talk. And after the panel got done, so many people were coming up and like, that was so great. You're so brave. Like giving compliments. And it was really nice. But I struggled for a quite a while to not keep telling myself, oh, they're just shocked that you know how to talk. Not that you're really that great. It's just that they're so shocked that you know how to talk. But even if that's true, why do I need to tell myself that? That's really unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) Really unnecessary arguments have with yourself. I think there were a lot of people that were actually like, oh, that's amazing that you got through that. The question they asked each of us panelists was, what do you know about human trafficking? And I'm like, well, (laughs) quite intimately, no. When I was talking, I said familial trafficking is one of the most confusing things that you're dealing with because you're born into this war zone, right? But it's also like the most silent that you're not standing on a street corner or you're not like hanging out in hotels, you're at home. So I think there was quite a few people that were even just surprised about that possibility because they want to think that it's not true. They want to think that it's not possible that there's 
people in this world like that, but but there is. And then, of course, then the question is, can it happen to me? I did get a few people coming up. One lady came up and she was like, she's like, I know this is going to be a really stupid question, but I just want to make sure that what came to my head is correct. But what is familial trafficking? I was like, family. There's people even asking that kind of question. They don't know. But it's even a possibility that a family member would want to traffic their own child or the child of another family member. But in most cases, surprisingly, it's their own children. Yeah, absolutely. Or someone that's close to the child. That's in some respect. Maybe it's an uncle or a neighbor, someone that has very intimate, close connections that no one's going to look twice at. Because the family trusts them. Yeah. It doesn't seem odd that he wants to come and take them for ice cream and go buy them clothes. But maybe you should be like, huh, they're eight. Not yeah. as I know. <laughs> yeah. Sure, let's all go together. I'll come with you. And then if they're like, oh, no, never mind. Something's probably going on. <laughs> the, the detective, because the questions were like, what do you look for? How do you know? The detective brought up something that I hadn't really thought of before of course when i thought of it i was like yeah of course but he was like especially with teenagers you start seeing them all of a sudden they've got expensive clothes that you did not buy them or tattoos getting tattoos so like that i was like holy hell, i don't even i don't even know how i would handle that something like that all of a sudden your kid starts <laughs> turning up with a diamond grill and you're like that doesn't look normal i'm being facetious but yeah i know you and i both have similar stories and similar outlooks and approaches to parenting. We're very close to our children. We know that there's never going to be something that they can't bring to us. But it was really surprising how many parents came up to me yesterday and were asking questions along the lines of how do you talk to your kid and that kind of thing. There's just a lot of people that it just doesn't go past that boundary. That parent-child therefore means (laughs) I tell you do, which is not our job. It is not our job to tell and them to do that barrier of, yeah, I tell you do, they tend to act out more. I was saying we didn't get a chance to be teenagers, but when you think about it, it's a teenager's job to try and get away with shit. (laughs) That's just how they're supposed to do it. It's how they find out what they like, who they are. It's how they establish boundaries. It's how they establish relationships. It's all essentially what they're doing is trying to see what they can get away with. That's just kids in general are just going to do that, but it's very formative in teenagers with teenagers. It's a very formative time. My view on it is that we can do so much better by being present rather than protective, not rather than, but being more present than protective. And I can see why that can be scary for parents, too. When we were preparing for the panel, I was supposed to talk about talking to your kids, what to look for and that kind of stuff. I said, like, you have to find a way to make a connection, because if your kids are not going to talk to you, if you can't figure out a way to have your kids talk to you, you've lost already. And that was another thing that you you and I both did was come to me about anything. We will talk to you about it. You're not going to get in trouble. And we're going to talk to you like another human being, not like a a child. So like, what's, what's the the right age then 
because a lot of parents don't even want to talk about sex. They're like, oh, let the school do it. And then all the schools are like, oh, we can't do that now. We, you know, abstinence and all that kind of stuff. So the kids are going to the internet. We didn't grow up with the internet, but even our kids, my kids didn't have cell phones in middle school at that time. They could access the internet, but it was like on the home computer. They didn't have their own internet connectable cell phones until they got to high school. But now you see kids, people don't even think twice, a kid five, six, seven, having their own phone. Like people don't even think twice about that. I feel a little bit, I feel lucky in some ways that we missed that. Because I imagine that parenting must be really challenging, so much more challenging with all that information and bad information at, at your fingertips. I don't know if you have this situation too, but going to try to find out information online, you have to pull up like five or six different articles from different places that you have to vet the source. People just go up there and just dumping all kinds of stuff online. And it's now it's there. All the information that we could possibly want really is accessible to us, but we need to do so much better of vetting it. Because <laughs> if you just take as word the first thing you pull up on any given subject that's how you have QAnon so another cult that would be really interesting to talk to somebody who came out of that cult the QAnon cult yeah I would just like to hear what took them in and what took them out most I, of them still don't know yeah who started it or <laughs> any of that because if they did if they actually looked at information they would know but they yeah. don't, so they don't. People are constantly saying, oh, yeah, who even started that? Dude, there's been documentaries done. The dude fucking confessed it. It's like everybody knows. It's pretty much open information out there who started it and all what it was all about. You can go and look for yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've still heard people be like, yeah, nobody ever knows. I'm like, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> It's not even a thing anymore. The dudes quit fucking doing it. Like, it's done. Nobody's technically in it anymore. If they are, they're just making their own shit up. Because, yeah, QAnon's been dead for a long time. We're not pulling encyclopedias Britannica. Remember those days? That was where we got our information from. Oh, yeah. The correlation for me between, like, the QAnon and the misinformation that you can get anywhere now online and, and cults is that we're special. That's the whole, that's the hook. Yep. Everybody that joined a cult, even though technically, yes, it's a righteous thing. You wanted to be a, the best Christian you could be, or you wanted to be the most dedicated or whatever, but still the pull, the draw was I'm special. I'm more than somebody else. I know more. I am more. And that's a very similar thing. That's why people like hook onto quite easily to conspiracy theories because they're like, oh, I've got the secret inside. Or to even religion in general. I yeah. mean, I know plenty of people who think my church is the best and my pastor's the best. Well, obviously that's why you're there. I mean, <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I know people that drive two hours to go to church and two hours to come back because they think this guy knows the truth. Yeah, half the church split off six months ago because <laughs> and there was all these accusations, but I don't believe them. No. Because 
because he's got the word. He always just tells us we can choose. I'm like, yeah, that's what he says. But I was literally having this conversation with somebody the other day. I was like, yeah, you can choose. But (laughs) tell me right now, is anybody that's chosen not to do what he suggests, are they in any positions of power? Oh, no. Yeah, of course not, because you can't actually choose. They're just saying you can choose. But you don't really actually have the choice. That's I was trying to explain to her. That's what bounded choices, bonded choice is all about. Yeah. You're not really being given the choice. You're verbally being said you have the choice. That doesn't mean that's the actual facts, though. Oh, for sure. It's another version of coercion. We actually ended up having this conversation yesterday, too, because when you come to deal with human trafficking, everybody wants to know what does it look like and what can we do? And we're sitting there and almost everything that comes out of the law enforcement officers' mouths, there's there's not much we can do. You can call in, you can give an anonymous tip, blah, blah, blah. But it's so difficult to prosecute, whatever, on and on. But I can't remember now which city, Lisa was telling us, right, where they were talking about switching the laws to where the coercion is what is the umbrella because a lot comes up under coercion. And when you break it all down, that's the crime. That's the crime is you are forcing someone to do something, whether it's through manipulation or lying or whatever it is, you're forcing someone to do something that they're not choosing to do. That's the crime. And domestic violence is going to fall under that. Human trafficking is going to fall under that. Labor trafficking is going to fall under that. And obviously (laughs) cult and extreme religions are going to fall under that too. If there's one nagging thing that follows us around our whole lives is like, how, why, how could other human beings do this to other human beings? And it was actually a TikTok and this woman, she's in the health field. She started as a paramedic and now she does counseling or something. And she told this story about one of the most profound things that anybody has ever said to her in her life. She was a paramedic in Vegas of all places, which that's gotta be gnarly. And apparently it was. So there was one very particular scene that was really bad. And there were children involved that that didn't make it. And they have to first take the people that have a chance to live after right. that trip. And then they have to come back for the people that didn't make it. And a lot of times they have to wait on the detectives to finish running the crime scene. So she came back and she was standing around and she came up next to the detective and they're both standing there looking at the aftermath of this horrible crime. And she said to him, I just don't understand how anybody could do this to these kids, how anybody could do this to children. And he turned to her and said, the day that you can answer that question is the day you become one of them. (laughs) And that was just, I think I played that. I think I probably played the TikTok like five times because I was, it just, I don't know why, what it is sometimes when something's said a certain way. It's yes, I had that concept in my head technically, but it was, it was put in such a profound way of basically, I'm never going to get the answer to that question because yeah, we don't have that concept and we never are going to. Yeah. I think it answers why we can't get an apology too. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's why we can't get our parents to 
sincerely and completely apologize to us. All, all a lot of us get is excuses. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I wasn't. Yeah, we get that. We already get that. But why can't you just be sorry? Why can't you just be like, I am so fucking sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. That's that's why there's just so few of them that even admit that something was going wrong. Yes. Most of them play the I didn't know card. Yeah, or they'll I didn't know that was happening. They'll like start it as something good. It's weird though, because I was talking to my husband about it the other day. When it started, they weren't even allowed to have sex outside of marriage. They weren't allowed to hold hands. It was so fucking strict. And then I'm it's the, I swear the power just went to his head and he's, I can have whatever the fuck I want. I'm just going to start saying all this weird, stupid shit and see if people bite on it and everybody bit on it. So he just kept fucking doing it. He basically wanted to fuck Maria. Right. And so he was like, obviously I didn't make the Bible fit to my, you know, my, what I want. Unfortunately that did happen because they started out coming out of the evangelical Baptist, which they're pretty uptight about those kind of yes. things. So it certainly started like that, but I think, was it Old Church, New Church, or Old Wine, New Wine, whatever that left? Old whatever Church, that. New Church. Yeah, it is Old Church, New Church, yeah. Or Old Wife, New Wife, or something. <laughs> <laughs> the One Wife, Old Church, New Wine. Oh, wow. Talk about, we need a dictionary. But that was like, I think that came out before I was even born. So it did come out way early. It's not that far of a leap. He was like, the Mormons do it. So <laughs> somebody's reading the Bible in one way or another. And uh, uh, yeah, they found Paul's <laughs> fucking verse. <laughs> and it's amazing, actually. I don't usually talk about religion because it's so personal. And I have very personal feelings about it. But aside from religion, aside from the concept of belief, a misinterpretation that you can't deny happens. The misinterpretation of the foundational book that Christianity is based on, the Bible, is so ridiculous. The Bible verse that the entire law of love, sex with children, that whole belief was based on all things are lawful unto me. The second half said, but not all things are expedient. Exactly. Obviously now in a, a non-Christian view, I can read that and say, he was actually saying that what you're doing, like he said, yes, you can think up any reason for something to be lawful, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Essentially, but Berg read the first half of the verse. He's like, oh, we'll, just get, we'll put a period right there and we'll just carry on and destroyed 8,000 <laughs> children's lives yeah for not reading the second half of a verse Ugh. and then the other unto the pure all oh. things are pure basically that's why they were all like oh that wasn't abuse it was done in love we loved you that's why we did it we're so pure do you remember coming out and finding out about NAMBLA I found out about it on South Park what? yes I was sitting there going that what the fuck is this my husband says, it's a real thing. And I'm like, what? No, it isn't. Yeah. yeah. I no. looked it up and I was like, oh my God, it is a real thing. For anybody who doesn't know, North American Man-Boy Love Association is what NAMBLA stands for. But their belief system, their belief structure, whatever, the fucking thing that they base their 
fucked up lives on is that concept that if I'm doing it in love, it cannot harm somebody. The thing about it is that's interesting is if there is anything that gets misused, misinterpreted and misunderstood, it's love. Like anger is pretty straightforward. If you're angry, this happens. If you're sad, this happens in general. But when you love, there's people that think that if they keep the person home locked in their room and never let them outside, that's because they love them that much. And they never want to be away from them for one second of their life. That's what some people think of is love. Yeah. So when you base morality on love, it, you actually can't really, when you think about it, you can't really base morality on love because it's the most widely <laughs> interpreted emotion and word out there. Yeah. There's a lot of people that can't even say if they have loved someone. So what are they going to do then? <laughs> yeah. or I've seen people that are like, how am I supposed to learn to love myself when I've never had anybody love me? <laughs> how do I know what it is? How do I know what to do? Yeah. It's true though. It's something you have to learn. Yeah. I think. And also learn what it is to you. Because I think it's one of those things too that's a little bit different to each person. Yeah. Like you could do something that that you think is love to someone else, but to them it might not be love. It might be hurting them in a way that you just never thought. I think a lot of times it's just not thinking ecologically, not thinking how your actions are going to affect the other party. Yeah. Probably compassion is the closest. If you're going to hook morality on something, compassion is probably the closest yes. thing to use because yes. compassion is what keeps us from, I don't know, killing somebody when they're driving us crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, not love. So when they say well, God is love, yeah, that's flawed to begin yeah. with. Uh, are we going to get angry letters about this? <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> but then also it's like, what is God? Yeah. It's all technically open to interpretation. <laughs> yeah, because it's, yeah, until we know. Yes. Even the Christian God and Jesus and all of that, that there's nobody alive today that has actually seen any of those people, you can think you know what they are or yeah. what they mean or, or all of that, but that doesn't mean you do. No, not at all. Technically, anything that can't be measured can't be proven. Exactly. What was it, 230 right. years ago? We didn't have a way to measure the thunder that or understand what it was. Now yeah. we do. So, yeah, there might come another 100 years that we're going to be able to, like, measure energy or whatever. They're starting to get the plant. You've yeah. seen those, right, where you can yeah. listen to the plants and they can actually make sounds. Humanity is always changing and growing and discovering and understanding. And there's yeah. there's so much that we don't understand and we probably never will in our lifetime just got to keep an open mind man <laughs> what is that thing i heard somebody say no i will not die for my beliefs because what if i'm wrong that is a good point i think you should always keep the what if i'm wrong possibility because there's so many people who are just like nope this is the truth and there's no way you are ever i mean i was that way i think i was probably like 19 and probably i bought all that teen camp brainwashing bullshit. Yeah. I literally in my head was like, you will never ever dissuade me. I'm believing in living the truth because to me it was, 
you have to come to a point where you're willing to acknowledge yeah. you could possibly be wrong. So many people just shut you down, just block. Oh, you don't think I'm the same way? Block. I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to understand. Please give me an explanation. But they don't have one. And that's why they block you because they're like, nope, okay, you're too much. I can't deal with you. Yeah. Sorry for wanting to know why. I remember a good friend of mine who was a who's a cult baby born in just a wee bit older than me. And I always considered her much more intelligent than me. She's a brilliant, very smart woman. And we would have amazing conversations because we get we get real intellectual. She ended up leaving the cult quite a bit longer after I did. And I had that conversation with her one time. I was just like, I actually would have thought that you would have been out before me, before I was able to get my shit together and get out. And she said pretty much exactly that. She said, because even if I could admit that I was wrong, I would then have to admit that I'd wasted my whole life. And when she said that, I was like, oof. It's true. Yeah. It's a tough wake up. It's really hard. And that's why I love the title of Lauren's book. Leaving it isn't the hardest thing because it's not. Oh, I'm wrong. I can go a different direction. What does that different direction mean? Holy shit. It usually means a life overhaul. Say you sink all your investment money into something. I don't know, Bitcoin (laughs) or GameStop or whatever. And you're going to have to admit not only that you were wrong, but you lost all your money or you're going to have to start from scratch in some way. That's a marriage. A lot of people stay in for that reason too. It's shit. This means I will have to start over. Mm-hmm. It's actually starting over that I think that more people are scared of than even admitting that they're wrong. I totally agree. Yeah. It is hard. Oh my God. Very hard to admit. It was hard for me. I spent months feeling very angry And very, I don't even know what the word is, but I couldn't believe that I had wasted like 27 years of my life. I just felt so angry, first of all, because I felt like it had really been taken from me. Absolutely. Yeah. But also I had to accept the fact that I could have come to my senses earlier about it. I I did have thoughts and feelings like when we were in Russia and our team NAS left. That was the first time that I was really like, okay, what the fuck is going on? Because, okay, all these other SGAs were leaving or whatever in Russia. And I was just like, okay, whatever. A lot of them left in Russia, actually. A lot of them just Mm. up and left. The whole Nova Sibirskom just fucking quit and left. But then what happened was those two people died in the car accident. (sighs) Yep. Of course, what happened to all of us? fucking freak the fuck out if we leave god's gonna kill us and that's what they told us too you see what happened to them and they left so it was terrifying oh my god here it was terrifying how many times did you have to listen to mark c's story uh wait i I think i sat through the three sessions of that like when i was 15 i was wait no 16 18 and then 20 trying to scare the fucking living daylights out of you yes if you leave the cult you are going to come back without arms. That was literally the message. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and it was terrifying. It was so scary. It, it really but- was. Confirmation bias is such a powerful thing too. If you're looking for a message to say this, then you're going to see that message. But yeah, I think the first time for me where it really was like, oh my God, can it happen to me? It was a good friend of mine. We were just like such good friends. I like admired them so much. and. I was 15 and they were 16 and they had 
taken a trip to a Western country to visit relatives and came back and met literally, fuck this shit. I'm done. I'm leaving. And they told the leaders, right? And they immediately fucking descended upon them, upon this person. They came to the, the home that we were in and 24 hours, they kept them for 24 hours. And they did it in this living room area where everybody could see. I think I walked past that room 27 times that day, having to watch them just berate and yell and shout and cry. I couldn't believe that they lasted as long as they did. And afterwards, they were telling me, they just kept saying, no, there's nothing you can say that's going to change my mind. And their relative that was in this Western country paid, paid for their way to get back there. And I think that's what I was really jealous of is they found a way to connect to a relative because that was to me, the key, that was always the key of how you're going to get out of here. Because unless you can actually literally go and steal something, which in Thailand, it's not going to work. Unless you could actually go and steal something, you were not getting your own money. No No way. You could scrape together pennies and well bought till you are 80 and would not come up. The, the, with the amount that they gave us, which was like, what would we get like 80 bot a month? I don't something remember. Like it was $5. Something like that. Yeah. Like $5. I mean, yeah. So we could save like for 50 years before we come up. Is that would probably but, be right? Yeah. But they didn't even actually give it to you. They just said, you can spend this much yeah, on your personal needs. Right. No, they never even gave it to us. That's true. Do you want a toothbrush or soap? I, the only way I was able to get money to go to Russia was through going out and selling tapes and videos and all of that stupid crap. And I had to give half of everything that I made to the home. It took me every day going out, following up all that. I mean, just crazy fundraising to get enough to fly to Russia and land there with $300. Yep. I felt the same way. As soon as I went to Russia, they sent me back to Thailand. I was like, no, please. I don't want to go back. I just begged and begged not to go back. I did not want to go back to Thailand. I was like, I'm out of here. I'm (laughs) out of here. It was so fucking horrible there. That's why the minute the charter came out, I was fucking out of there. I was out, out the fastest I could. I was out. Yeah. I can't say I wish that had been me because I wouldn't have my kids. But when the charter came out, that's when I got roped into having to get together my ex. And the second there's more than one of you that literally doubles the money aspect. (laughs) It's not just, hey, grandma, can you pay for this ticket for one person? Can you pay for this ticket for my entire fucking family? Yeah. I'm only here, actually, because my stepdad paid for tickets. Come back. And only because your mom kept in touch with him. Like, for example, in our case, we were not allowed to keep in touch with our relatives. My mom must have had some sort of exception with my stepdad because he was FF'd or something like that. They (laughs) made exceptions like that. They must have had some exception because she was legally married to him for years and off in South America, serving the Lord, off in Russia, serving the Lord, whatever. I don't think I'd be here right now sitting here. I'd probably be in Africa or dead or something like (laughs) I was going to Africa. I was going to Africa. I'm only here because of that. I literally wouldn't be here. Yeah. I had no plans whatsoever to return to America. Zero. It was because of Y2K. That's the only reason they brought me back too, is because they were worried that everybody was going to die. 
<laughs> no, yep. for real. My mom oh, packed God. up three months of shit. Yeah. Gas, water, food, oh, drove so us out stupid. to the Oregon coast in a fucking RV where we slept the night and survived and woke up the next morning and went home. <laughs> but we were ready. It still amazes me that an entire fucking planet was just didn't know how to code things on that level. They're like, we don't know what's going to happen when it flips over. Is the clock going to keep going? That was, yeah, anyways. Yeah, why came? Those were. We got to wrap it up. We talked about some good shit. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I feel like trafficking and that kind of stuff is definitely things that we need to bring to the table because I don't think a lot of cult children even realize that they were trafficked. Some of them do, but a lot of them are still coming to that realization that, holy shit, I was fucking trafficked. I was labor trafficked. A lot of it was labor trafficking. It is really important because when you start making those connections, you're going to have that many more tools to understand what you're going through and yes. also find solutions to it. Yes. This is another thing that I, I hope that I will stand on. You are allowed to say whatever the fuck you want about anybody in this fucking cult because there is not anybody that was innocent. Nobody was innocent. And if you were hurt, no one has any right to say, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to be hurt anymore. I'm sorry, you're not allowed to be hurt by that. We can't do that to you. We gotta stop doing this to each other. Like you saying earlier, block. Because it takes too much effort to sort something out, to work something out, right? Yeah. As obviously as beautiful and as wonderful as our friendship is, and there's literally hardly anything that we ever do that hurts the other person on an accident. But imagine if we were like, that's too much effort. I'm not going to talk to them about it. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. We would have ended up gone long ago, but right. we don't need to be afraid of that anymore. Like right. the, those are the spaces that we need to heal. Right? The effort. Yeah. Talk, work it out. Don't just give up on people. Yeah, absolutely. Also, we just need to definitely put out there that our listening service is open. Our um, listening service yeah. is open. Yes. So we can probably post that Calendly in a couple of different places yes. and you can find it on our website and in our Facebook groups. Yes. But yeah, we're opening more hours and both myself and Jemima will be available. If anybody wants to just dump overload, (laughs) please. We're happy to listen to you and we're, we've got some other things in the works working on, but also October is domestic violence awareness month. I know we're putting out a few feelers Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to somebody about that because I think that's another thing that we don't identify enough of the stuff that happened to us and the stuff that happened to our parents and the stuff that happened to each other is the domestic violence. And everybody thinks violence just means hitting and it doesn't. Human trafficking and the domestic violence, those are important conversations to have. So so hopefully stay tuned. We will have more for you. All right. Stay brave. <laughs> Our last one was really funny. <laughs> every caterpillar, every butterfly. Oh, they're all just butterflies and caterpillars. <laughs> Squish, squish. <laughs> Stay butterfly because we'll always be a caterpillar. There you go. <laughs> you may look like a caterpillar, but you're a butterfly. <laughs> Maybe you were once a caterpillar, but now you're a butterfly. Go look in the mirror. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have body dysphoria. I'm like, 
all I see is a caterpillar. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes. The world sees a butterfly and you still see the caterpillar. 